privilege for us to be able to, uh, to come together today and to, to worship the Lord together. I, I want to say if you're a, a guest here with us today, welcome. We're really glad that you were able to join us. And uh, yeah, we're just praying that God uh, really meets you in this place today. So we're really, really glad that you're here. Well, last weekend we started a new series uh, through the New Testament book of Colossians. And uh, this is a powerful series. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote an incredible letter to the to the people, to the followers of Jesus Christ in the, in the city of Colossae. And last Sunday, we spent a lot of time in the beginning parts of, of chapter 1, and we looked at some very powerful words that the Apostle Paul, that he said that he prayed actually over this group of, of people, this group of people that really is a, a lot like us. And uh, we said that in the context of the passage that we looked at last week, not only are there a lot of just really solid biblical truths that lead us and guide us in our faith, but even beyond that, there's a, in a very practical way, there's a great prayer that we can pray over ourselves. Uh, this week you'll notice if you open up your worship folder that that prayer is actually, we kind of personalize that and put it in the bottom of your worship folder and would encourage you as kind of an application to this book to take that and maybe put it in a, a prominent place where you, would, you'll see it and, and would encourage you to pray through that. Um, a couple people grabbed me after last Sunday and they said, you know, we've actually, we've been praying those words over our marriage or over our kids, over Brookside for a period of, of time. We've been, we've been doing that. And so I just want to encourage you, would you maybe consider making that a habit to pray those words of scripture, powerful words right over your life. What struck me about that prayer that the Apostle Paul gave was that he gave us like a, a, a blueprint of how to live in an honorable way before Jesus Christ. Uh, I love it when he said, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, big words, and that you may please him in every way. Uh, so yeah, let's make use of, of that prayer. You know, we've called this series through, Col- through Colossians uh, Equations. Because over and over throughout this book, we're going to see that when Jesus Christ, when he becomes the driving factor in our life, the outcomes of our lives are incredibly different. Um, This is really the equation. Let me flip this around. This is the equation that you could say really captures the essence of the entire series. Let me walk you through this. This is easy to remember. For, for, For you math folks, you're happy. I had to learn this stuff for you math folks, okay? But here it is. Jesus, when Jesus becomes the driving force in our lives, what does it do? It leads to a change, delta, a change in the sum total of life. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, what does it do? It just doesn't leave us kind of out there and life isn't any different. No, when Jesus enters the equation, when he becomes the driving factor, the driving force, it leads to a change in the sum total of of life. You know, I was talking to a guy this week, and he said, you know, I, my life was going one direction, and he kind of um, unpacked the ups and the downs of, of that direction, and lots of downs, and, and he said, and then I met Jesus Christ, and he said, and he just described it, met Jesus Christ on a gravel road, and he said, I'll, you know, won't forget it, he could paint the picture very clearly to me, and he said, you know, when I met Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, when he began to lead my life, the outcome of my life was dramatically, was dramatically changed, Jesus leads to a change in the sum of life. We're going to see that over and over throughout this series. This morning, we're going to be looking um, at verses 15 through 19 in in chapter 1. And I just want to tell you, I'm really excited to be able to share these these verses with you. It's kind of like I've had a very cool picture for you that I haven't been able to show you for a week. But now today, I get to show you. I mean, it's one of those texts that gets you excited. As you'll see, there's a picture that's painted of Jesus Christ this morning in our text that has the potential to really do a powerful work in each one of our lives. Um, You know, you might be here today and you've recently given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you would say your 
perception or the things maybe that come to your mind quickly about Jesus, you think of his birth, you think of Christmas, baby in the manger, you get that. And then maybe you fast forward and you think of the cross, his death, his resurrection for, for, for sin. Or, or maybe you come here today and, and you would say you're, you're more on the seeking end of things. You're trying to figure out, well, who is Jesus? Because before I give my life to him, I want to understand actually who he is. And I want to find out, do I want to surrender my life to him? You're seeking out truth maybe this morning on the picture, on the, the who it Jesus is. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, you actually have a very lofty picture of who Jesus is. And, and your challenge is that that perception, that that reality of who Jesus is, the challenge you face is that how, how does that perception, how does that reality, how does it infiltrate each part of your life on a, on a given week? Wherever you fall, I think that this text is going to impact each of us today. At the time when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter, it, it wasn't uncommon for someone to associate with Jesus Christ on the one hand, maybe even to look at Jesus and say that he is truly God, but for that same person to also be blending other parts of other religions into their Christianity. So in a sense, you had this melting pot of religion. And, and what that did was it, it led to a distorted view of Jesus Christ, one. And number two, it led to a very inauthentic faith in Jesus Christ. Not foreign at all to our day and age, there were conflicting truths about who Jesus is. And, and so as we open up the book of Colossians, it's, it's kind of an important reminder for us today to remember that the Apostle Paul, the reason why he's writing is he's writing out of concern because there have been these false teachers that have come in to these people that he cares deeply for. Imagine that, you've got a group of people that you care about and false teachers have come in and they're, they're bringing a message that's twisting the truths about who Jesus Christ is. So Paul's writing a, as a word of even correction. In our passage today, Paul writes this description, and I got to tell you, it's a standalone description. Uh, it's a set of verses that throughout the scriptures, it's, it's like a go-to passage. Uh, it's one that shapes our understanding of who Jesus is. It's been said of this passage that we're going to look at that it's incomparable in its description of who Jesus is. One scholar said, said this of our text for this morning. Of all the Bible's teachings about Jesus Christ, none is more significant than Colossians 1, verses 15 to 19. This dramatic and powerful passage removes any doubt or confusion over Jesus' identity. It is vital to a proper understanding of the Christian faith. You know, I said I'm really excited to, to share these verses with you, but I've also got to say this, in all honesty... I also feel like when we open up the book this morning, the scriptures, I feel like in a sense we're also walking on some holy ground. I feel like, I mean, we're, we're going to look at a passage that describes who our Savior is, who Jesus Christ is. And so I feel like as we go to this text, we've got we've to approach it with an extra dose of humility, with an extra amount of reverence to Christ, because the description of Jesus that we'll get today, it's amazing. It's one that you don't want to leave here and you want to take lightly. It's one that you don't want to leave here and just be minimally impacted by. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon for vacation or, or maybe to the mountains, somewhere where the scenery was just amazing? Raise your hands. Anybody ever been to a place like that? Yeah, almost everybody, right? Now, when people get back from trips like this, oftentimes what they want to do is they want to share pictures with you and they want to tell you all about the trip and they want to share more pictures than you really want to see. You know what I mean? They're more excited than you are about their trip. But imagine this for a second. Imagine if you took a person on a trip like this, maybe it's one of your kids or a friend, and, 
and you got done with the trip and, and you were just blown away at the things that you had seen on this trip. But imagine if your child or someone else, you went up to them and you said, hey, what did you think of the scenery? I mean, what did you think of the things that we saw? And imagine if they said, oh, it was fine. I mean, taking a little bit of back, you might say, it was fine, huh? What exactly do you mean by it was, it was fine? I mean, do you mean like it was like the finest thing you've ever seen in your whole life, like I think? Or do you think it's more like one of, so you had the flu and now you feel fine, right? I mean, I mean, which one is it? There's a big difference, isn't there? We had a couple of soccer games yesterday and at my son's uh, soccer game, there was a, a very interesting moment. Our team had just scored, and so we got back to the center of the field, and we're kind of getting the players spread out a little bit, and all of a sudden, one of the the players on our team looked at our goal, but past the goal, he could see something up in the sky, and all of a sudden, he said, look, there's a rainbow, and then it just kind of unraveled from there, because then (laughs) another another kid, and and this group is fantastic, love these guys, five and six-year-olds, another one goes, I see it too. And then another one, and it just kept going, and all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, it was rainbow time on the soccer field. Now, this would, would, it would have been okay, but I'm going for YMCA Kindergarten Championship of the Year. That's who we want to be, right? And so we're up three to zero, we're undefeated, and I'm thinking, hey, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of time for the rainbow thing here. And, and so I look over at the parents, and the parents are laughing, and right about that time, one of the kids just, he sees I'm not paying attention to the rainbow thing, he says, do you see it? And so, and the ball's about to go live again. And so I just looked up. I said, I see it. And I looked over at one of the dads, and the dad looks over at the rainbow and goes, like that at me. You know, like, like this is crazy, right? We just wanted to win, the adults. But these kids were captivated by the sight of this rainbow. They were totally into it. At the end of the day, I think it would be healthy for us each to ask ourselves the question, what do you think of Jesus? Does the image of, of Jesus Christ, does it make you want to stop? Does it make you want to stand in awe? Or would you say, he's fine? Or would you say it's hard for you actually to find words that are, that are grand enough for you to express how you feel towards him? You know, I want to read these verses over you, this description, this powerful description of who Jesus is. And then I want us to pray, and let's, let's pray that we would leave here today caught up in the image of Jesus, that it would stop us in our tracks. So let me read this to you, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and, vi- and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. Let's pray together and let's ask God to grab our attention this morning with this picture of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and we just want to humbly say, we feel like we're walking on some holy ground as we open the scriptures today. And so, Lord, we want to pray that this picture that you gift us really in the scriptures of who you are, Lord, we pray that it would impact us today. And so wherever you're at in life, whatever you kind of bring in here today, the ups and the downs, would you just have a a word with the Lord right now? Would you say, 
Lord, would you inspire me by this picture of who you are? Lord, would you inspire me by this picture of who you are? Go ahead and pray that to the Lord. Lord, we can trust you, and and we pray big things because you are capable of great things. And uh, so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't turned it already, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We'll put these verses up on the screens as well. These five verses that we'll focus on this morning can be summed up in just three words if you're taking notes. Here it is. Jesus is God. Paul's motivation in writing was to correct a false view of who Jesus was and it was to inspire a right understanding of who Jesus is. That's his motivation. And Paul knows that answering the question, who is Jesus? He knows that that separates Christianity from all other world religions and he knows that that reality has the power to change each one of our lives. His motivation is to give an accurate picture. Who is Jesus? Paul's method is to paint this picture of Jesus through carefully chosen and extremely weighty words. He's wanting to pour fuel on the fire of our faith so that our trust in Christ would even grow. Look with me at verse 15. It says, he, first word, he, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, the son, Jesus, get this, is the exact representation of his being. Meaning, he is the exact imprint. Jesus is the exact imprint. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says, he is in the very form of God. Now remember that Paul is writing this letter after he, and and you can read about that in the book of Acts, he has personally encountered Jesus Christ. And so he wants people to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God. And so right away he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, if you want to know, if you you come here today and you experience the ups and the downs of life, the challenges and the joys, but you want to know in the midst of your life, how does God respond? What does God think? Uh, What is the character of God like? What makes God tick? Is God up in heaven and he's kind of got this lightning bolt in his hand and he's just waiting for someone to mess up and then, I mean, is that the kind of God that he is? Is Is he angry with you? Is he delighted in you? What is he, what is he like? If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you some examples. First of all, Jesus, God is merciful to those who are guilty. John chapter 8, you see these religious leaders and they approach Jesus and they've got a woman that they want to stone to death because she's been involved in the sin of adultery. And so they drag her to Jesus and they've got this plot on how they're going to carry this through. And Jesus replies with mercy. He says, oh, okay, guys, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Imagine that moment. He says, at this, those who were there, they began to walk away one at a time. And then Jesus, in his mercy, says to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. What is God like? Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Again, Jesus is getting flack for who he's hanging around, and Zacchaeus is not a good guy. Zacchaeus is a thief. Zacchaeus is a guy that is taking advantage of people that have already been taken advantage of. 
And what does Jesus do? Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. And in that context, Zacchaeus repents and Zacchaeus turns to Jesus Christ. But notice, who is it that pursued Zacchaeus? It was Jesus that pursued him. Jesus that extended mercy to him. It was Jesus then that said to Zacchaeus, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house, to this house. He extends grace to the guilty. extends mercy. Luke chapter 13 Jesus is speaking of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's at a point where they're, they've definitely they've put their hand of resistance, the, they've put, given Jesus the hand, you know, resistance, right in the face of God. And in the midst of that context, in the midst of that demeanor, he writes, he has longed to gather them together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He longs to extend mercy to Jerusalem. What is God like? God is all-powerful. Mark chapter 4, in the midst of a storm, the disciples are going crazy. They're out on a boat. All of a sudden, they wake Jesus up. I don't know how Jesus could have slept through the storm. They're kind of wondering that. They wake him up. Jesus, we need your help. What does Jesus do? He calms the storm. He's all-powerful. He's over nature. John chapter 11, he, he raises a man from the dead. He's got power. He's all-powerful. Powerful Power over the dead and the living. Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 men that are sick with leprosy. He's got power over that. Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus has power over the demonic, over the spiritual realm. When we look at the life of Jesus, we learn about the character of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Next, we learn that, Jesus, that, that, God, is, that God is compassionate. Mark chapter 6, after hearing the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Now, this would have been like really close to the heart of Jesus. And after hearing that news, Jesus says, hey, let's go away. Let's get some solitude. Me, you, disciples, let's go away. But this crowd, it follows them. And instead of just saying, hey, let's just go to another place because the crowd followed us here. Instead of doing that, Jesus enters into them. He gets into their context. And in that context, he has compassion on them. And he meets their physical needs. He's compassionate. What is God like? Matthew chapter 19 Some smart parents bring their children to Jesus and they want Jesus to pray a prayer over their children. The disciples think that's kind of a waste of time and so they they rebuke the people that brought the kids. And Jesus then, he, he doesn't go for that. He says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven, it belongs to such as these. If you and I, if we want to know the nature of God, we've got to look at the life of Jesus. Back to verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And then it says, he is the firstborn over all creation. Notice that it says, over all creation. It's not saying that Jesus was the first creation. Everything had its beginning. Everything that had a beginning had a beginning in him. Everything that was created was created through him. Jesus was never created. Rather, he authored the creation of everything. In Paul's culture, they got this idea of firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. They, they would have understood that. It didn't always necessarily mean that it was chronological, like birth order, firstborn. But they knew that if someone was called the firstborn, it meant that they got, they got the, the, the position of, of reverence. They got the position of, of authority, of honor. The firstborn was granted the inheritance. Those were big words. They would have understood that in that culture. Verse 16, he goes on with this picture of who Jesus is. For by him all things were created, 
Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. It says, all things were created by him. Everything has its origin in Jesus Christ. Baby in a manger, true, very true. All things have their origin in Jesus Christ. It's huge. It should revolutionize our perspective. Hebrews chapter 1 says that through him, through Jesus, he made the universe. Think about that. Take the sun for an example. Jesus made the sun. The sun has a diameter of 864,000 miles. That's 100 times the diameter of the earth. Now the sun could hold up to 1.3 million planets the size of the earth inside it. Think about that. It blows your mind. And you think that's impressive. There is a star out there that has a diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the earth's orbit all the way around the sun. Who made the sun? Who made that star? Jesus. It's the creator. But notice, it's, it's not just that. It says that all things were created by him, that all things begin with Jesus Christ, but it's beyond that. They continue, all things continue in him. It says all things were created by him and for him. You know, I was so encouraged this week. I, I got to read this blog post that one of the young college gals in our church wrote. And, and the title of this blog post was, How to Be a Godly Woman. And I was so encouraged as I read this because here's this, here's this young gal and, and one of the main points that she had is a person, a, a young lady that wants to be a, a godly woman, what does she do? She has a heart, she said, that's undivided. And, and then she kind of explained that, in, meaning that she lives with a singular focus, that, that her life, that is, if it's lived well, it's lived for Jesus Christ. Scriptures say that we were created by him, but not just by him and then that's it. No, no, we were created. If we live well, we can live in this. We were created, we were created for him. What good news. Verse 17, he goes on. Jesus, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Meaning Jesus doesn't show up late to the party. He is fully aware. Warren Buffett gets diagnosed with with prostate cancer this week. God was not surprised by that news. Chuck Colson, an incredible man of God, goes to be with the Lord yesterday. Jesus was not surprised when he met him face to face. Not a bit. He was, verse 17, he is before all things. And then it says, and in him, all things, what do they do? They, They hold together. And we see this when we step away from him. We see the effects of those decisions. We see this when we step away from God, it creates a mess. When we walk with God, we see things are are held together. We understand the peace of Christ in those moments. Verse 18, he goes on and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Look at these words. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Notice that it, that it says he is, he, is the, he is over all things, but notice that it says that he is the head of the body, the church. Now you might hear us say things around, around here, and you might even say this yourselves. Our church, we love what God is doing at our church. Now it's okay to say that. That's a true statement. If, if you come here, you're a part of this church. 
But the reality is God is the head of this church, right? That without him, our existence as a church is completely meaningless. He goes on in that he says that he's the firstborn from among the dead. Again, it's pointing to this fact that Jesus is before all things. That he has the highest rank. And why is he the firstborn among the dead? It says that he might have supremacy. He might have supremacy, not just in a few things. Jesus, what does he do? He leads to a change in the the sum total. That's this weird looking E, the sum total of life. He's over everything that Jesus might have supremacy. So I have to ask myself the question, okay, in my life, does he have supremacy? As a husband, does he have supremacy? Do I care more about honoring God with my marriage than winning an argument? As a father, does he have supremacy? As an employee, as an employer, as a student, does he have supremacy? Does he have supremacy? Does he have authority in in our lives? Look at verse 19, the last verse. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Notice that it says that God was pleased. God wasn't like, oh, I'm not sure. No, no, God was pleased. He was delighted to have all of his fullness dwell in him. God is fully Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ is fully God. And as we're going to see next week, Pastor Steve's going to take us through another incredible verse, verse 20. We're going to see that because of all the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus Christ, that when he went to the cross, he was and is the only sufficient payment for the sin of mankind. Why? Because all the fullness of God, where was it? It was in Jesus. It dwelt in him. Had Jesus not been fully man and yet fully God, our sin would be left on our shoulders. Yet today we rejoice because all the fullness of God, it dwelt in him. John chapter 1 verse 16, it it really brings this to life. It says, From the fullness of his grace, from all the fullness of God, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received what? We've all received one blessing after another. Who is Jesus? This passage, it says that he's the the image of the invisible God. He's the one that he's the firstborn over all creation. This text says that he's, he's the creator of, of all things, things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, think about that for a second. Does that excite you? I mean, he's the creator of all things. He's before all things, and the scriptures say he holds all things together. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. And because he is fully God, his death means our life. His victory on the cross means our victory over sin and death. I mean, that's amazing. Why why can that happen, though? Not just because Jesus is a cute baby in the baby manger and we can just leave it at that. No, no, no. It's because all the fullness of God dwells inside Jesus Christ. I mean, huge ramifications. When you think of Jesus, what comes to mind? What kind of picture do you have of him? How do you respond? How do you respond to this picture in the text How do you respond to the realities of of this text? Jesus is God. He's God over creation. Jesus is God over the spiritual realm. Jesus is God over nature. Jesus is God over everything. You know, our our time together here, it, it really leads to one question. The text really builds, I think, to one question of application. Don't don't miss this. Let me offer this question 
for us to wrestle with this morning. Here it is. Ask yourself the question, is Jesus God over me? Is Jesus God over me? I mean, when it comes to certain things in life, if you're anything like me, it's easy for Jesus to be God over that thing. You know, something that's just not that important. Something that, that I've just kind of always done that. You know, it's not a big deal. But what about that key decision? What about that relationship that you just, you got that sense, okay, I need to, figure, yeah, I need to get out of that. You know what I'm talking about? What about that stuff that you just go, oh, this is a little bit harder. Is Jesus God over that? Are there any areas in your life where you would say, yeah, Jesus is clearly supreme here, but over here, uh, he's not supreme. He's not supreme at all. Is there anything in your life that you would say, that's off limits, that's on limits. God, you, you can have that. That's within the bounds. I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm cool with that. But this, oh, sacred, no, don't touch that. One pastor put it this way, you can't know the supreme one if anything else is supreme. Meaning that if there is anything off limits, what we're in essence saying, that's an idol and we're saying that's above God, you can't have that, then that is what is supreme. You can't say, okay, I believe in I believe that Jesus is God, but practically speaking, I'm God over that. That one's mine. Hands off of that. Hands off my future. Hands off my possessions. Hands off whatever it might be. You know the list. Know this. Jesus isn't a supplement. Jesus isn't the buddy that we've always wanted. Rather, Jesus is everything. And stay with me. I mean, if, if you believe that Jesus is God then he's God over everything. And here's the good news kicker. When we really ponder who Jesus is, when we really think about, okay, I mean, verses 15 to 19, if you go home and you, you really believe those things are true, the great news about a text like this is it allows you to go, it makes sense for me to surrender everything to him. It is intelligent to do things his way. It makes sense for me to give him the things that I worry about. It makes sense for me to give him the decisions that I'm uncomfortable with. It makes sense for me to trust God when he's asking me to do something I really don't want to do. When we understand who he is, it makes sense. It's logical. It's, it's logical to believe that he has your best interest in mind. You know, this week, let me ask you, as you face those different decisions and different situations and different relationships... Would you ask yourself that bold question? Would you ask yourself, is Jesus God over me? Who's calling the shots? Who calls the shots at home? Who calls the shots at school, at work, at church, on the field, off the field, if you're married, single, if you're a student? Who, who calls the shots? You know, I can think of one guy in particular who his marriage was in shambles. And he gets to this point in his life where he says, okay, Jesus, you are now numero uno. You are the driving factor in my life. And so he stops focusing on winning the arguments all the time. And he starts to say, okay, I've got this thing called marriage. And Jesus is going to be the number one factor. And what he has said over and over again is the outcome of his life is completely changed. The sum total of his life is changed. Why? Because he said, okay, Jesus, I give you what I don't want to give you. You know, if you're new in Christ, you might wonder this morning... What does it mean to have Jesus be your God, for Jesus to be God over everything? I mean, put some skin on that. What does that mean? Just think for a second, what's important to you? What do you really like? What, what don't you, wouldn't you want to give up? Would it be your time, 
Would it be the people in your life? Would it be your income? Would it be your stuff? You, you, you know what those things are. When Jesus becomes God over you, you think of it this way. It's not my family. It's God's family. And so now I don't do what I feel like is comfortable to do. Now I go, okay, what honors God? Okay, it's, it's his house. Okay, wow. Okay, I think that through now. If it's his house, then how do we use his house? Okay, if it's his money, okay, then how do we use his money? Because I've always operated that it's my money. You know, you know the feeling? When you, when you take Jesus and you say, you know what, you're the number one, you're the driving factor, ask yourself the question, what's important to me in that relationship? It's not my relationship anymore. Instead, I'm seeking a relationship that will bring him the most honor and the glory I possibly can. Is Jesus God over me? Challenging question, isn't it? But this morning, I think as we look through these verses, we look at the picture of who Jesus is and we can just be inspired and we can go, okay, yeah, I can, I can trust you. I can give you everything, Lord, because you're great. You're the image of the invisible God. You're the firstborn over all creation. You care for me. You hold things together. You were before all things. In you, all things hold together. You were the firstborn. You were pleased. God was pleased to have all the fullness of him dwell in you. Is Jesus God over me? Let's ask that question this week and, and let's just be spurred on in our love for God by this text. So yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Lord, you're everything that the Apostle Paul wrote and, and we would say this morning, we would say much more. And um, Lord, we just want to, to pray today that this description of who you are, that this picture of who you are, we pray, Lord, that it would it would give us perspective as we think through the decisions of life. And, and Lord, this morning, maybe we come to you and we would say, I, I just have a, I have a challenge before me that's really hard and I, I'm struggling with that. Or, or maybe you would say, I have extreme joy in my life. Whatever your situation would be, would you go to the Lord and would you say, Lord, I trust you. You are bigger than I thought you were. You are the image of the invisible God. You are everything that the scriptures say you are. And so, Lord, we say that we trust you this morning. And now we worship you. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Great. Let's stand together and sing.